Do you know what Pentecost Sunday is? We celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And that is the day that the Holy Spirit, that we commemorate the Holy Spirit falling upon the 120 in the upper room. And so they have come 50 days after Easter when the Holy Spirit fell, and so that's where we are today. Easter was 50 days ago. And so today we're going to look at Pentecost Sunday, perhaps in maybe a little bit different way. But as we get into this, did you know that there are, there are many Bible scholars who think that in the New Testament, the books of Luke and Acts had the same author? I know a lot of people think that Luke wrote Luke and Acts wrote Acts, but that's not the way it went. They think that Acts and Luke had the same author and that they were actually one book. It was one writing that was divided into two parts. Because in the book of Luke, we have Jesus, who is the God who lived among us. I am with you. I dwell among you. And then in the book of Acts, we have Jesus, who is the God who lives in us. And the writing of these two books bridged the transition of the God that has lived with you to now he is the God that takes his residence inside of you. In talking about the book of Acts, we call it Acts. But really, the, the title of the book is Acts of the Apostles. But if you study it, you come to realize that it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. In other words, the Spirit who operated through Jesus Christ on this earth and has been with us has now moved in us to continue His work through us. And so the theme that the author is conveying is that the work of Christ on this earth is not finished. Now, make no mistake, redemption is finished, but not his work. The transaction that redeemed you and me has been completed. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And that meant that his blood was relevant to the moment that he lived in. It was the good news. It was the gospel. But not only was it a present redemption, but it also reached backwards to redeem those who had gone before. The shed blood of Jesus is strong enough to reach back and wash away the past. But I want you to know the wonderful news, the incredible news, the great news for you and me, is that the shed blood of Jesus Christ reached forward into the future. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died so well that before you were ever born, before you ever sinned, he had already paid your ransom. And if that wasn't incredible enough, his blood reached forward 2,000 years that, and caught you on the altar, whenever that was, it will still reach in this week and catch you where you are and it will continue to redeem you from sin and death. Listen, Jesus does not have to reinvent the wheel and die for me every time I mess up. Every time I mess up. That limits the efficacious power 
of his blood. The all-cleansing power. But Jesus Christ once and for all died. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. His name is above every name. His redemptive work is already complete. And so whatever you did, whatever you're about to do, whatever you're thinking about doing, it's already paid for by the blood. The blood of Jesus is a relevant help that encapsulates this very present moment. And so it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant that all sin has been paid for. I mean, and if you think about that, it's mind-blowing. You know, how do you get your head around that? All I have to do is ask for forgiveness, and everything I've ever done or I'm going to do will be forgiven when I ask for his forgiveness. I mean, that, that is the most incredible thing in, in all of mankind. But you see, you have to understand that our God is not the anticlimactic God. If we think that was the biggest thing that he was going to do, we're wrong. Our God always saves the best for next. God doesn't decrease in his presentation. He increases. The Bible says your latter days shall be greater than your former days. It's crescendo after crescendo. Friend, make no mistake, God does not downsize. And so if you are sitting there marveling at what God did in the past, wait until you see the future. Because God does not take a back seat to himself. He is ever changing. He is ever more magnificent. He is ever more glorious. But you see what happens, there becomes a challenge with, with my generation. Because people who are in my age bracket and, and have often been saved for years, well, they stopped reaching for something new. They stopped believing for something new. The status quo is okay with them. They stopped dreaming. And so sometimes it's difficult to minister to them because, well, let's face it, they think they've seen it all and done it all. And sometimes their expectation level can be at an all-time low because their experiences and their circumstances have led them to the point that they think that they understand all there is to be experienced in life. And so as a result, many times people are losing their hunger for the things of God. And then you take the younger generation. Some of the younger generation think that they know all there is to know about life without having to experience it. Just because they know. And so they're not interested in anyone else's point of view. But friend, make no mistake, no matter what age you are, if you're going to receive anything at all from God, you have to be hungry. You have to be excited. You have to be desperate. And you have to be anticipating. For you to reach your destiny in Christ, you must have a plan of action. You must have hope because faith is the substance of things that we hope for. So let me break that down. If you don't hope for anything, well, then you don't need any faith. And if you don't need any faith, well, you obviously don't need the Word. 
Hearing comes by the word of God. Listen, friend, let me urge you. If you get nothing else out of this message today, don't let the devil take your hope. Don't let the devil take your hope. Go ahead, let him have your hair. Let him have your teeth. But don't let the devil take your hope. And so because we're okay with the status quo a lot of times, because we think we've seen it all and, and, and we've experienced it all, a lot of times in church circles you hear this, man, I long for the good old days. Boy, do you remember when? You remember, you remember when? You remember back when this and that happened? Or, or you hear things like that, well, why is it that, that people are not hungrier for, for the things of God and, and for the Holy Spirit like, like they used to be or, or, or like, like they ought to be? Well, my take on the situation is this. I mean, you don't need to be empowered if you're not going to do anything. You don't need to have any energy if you're not going to go anywhere. No need to put gas in a parked car that's sitting up on jacks. If you're not going to use it, why buy a gym membership? You see, the reason that God gave us the Holy Spirit is not for our entertainment. It's not for our enjoyment. It's not for our performance. The reason God gave us the Holy Spirit is for our function so that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Okay, so if you're not going to witness, then I guess that means you don't need the... Ooh, maybe I better leave that one alone. Let's just move on real quick. Let's look at, at Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 4. And beginning at verse 16, this is where we see Jesus getting up in the synagogue. And he begins to quote from Isaiah 61, and this is where Isaiah introduces the idea to Israel that the Messiah is coming. And in verse 18, Jesus picks up the scroll and he begins to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. Now, let me stop right there. The Spirit of the Lord is never just upon you. Whenever the Spirit of the Lord is on you, it has to have a cause. There has to be a reason that the Spirit of the Lord is on you. If you don't have a cause, there's no need for an anointing. If you don't go and do something, God is not going to come upon you just for your entertainment or to keep you company. God anoints you for his purpose. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. If you lose your cause, you will lose the anointing.
And the reason that happens so much today and the problem today is that we have become our own cause. Boy, you guys got quiet all of a sudden. So why does the Spirit of the Lord come upon me? Well, the Bible is its own commentary. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So which one of these categories do you fall in? Which one of these categories do I fall in? Because the truth of the matter is, friend, we need to find ourselves in the cause to preach the gospel to the poor or to be sent to heal the brokenhearted, or to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind? Or do you set at liberty those who are bruised, or maybe you're a chronologist, and you preach the acceptable name of the Lord? But if you are not going to do anything, then you are not going to receive anything, and you are not going to need God's power. Thank you over there who appreciated that statement. See, but the thing is, let's face it, folks, if you don't expend any power, you have no use for the power. And that sums up a lot of people, and that's why they forgot to pray in the Spirit today, because you don't need any power when you're just your, when you're your own cause. Verse 20 says, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, I am the embodiment of the scripture. Jesus is saying that he is the Messiah. Now, let me, let me add this real quick. You do understand, right, that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Anybody confused about that? It wasn't Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, and they beget Jesus Christ. Right? Christ describes him as the Messiah or the anointed one. So Jesus moved on the earth as Jesus the Christ or Jesus the anointed one. Now, I am not being sacrilegious, but I want you to know you could be Sarah Christ, you could be Bobby Christ, you could be Billy Christ, you could be Tommy Christ, you could be Sally Christ, and right behind your name should be an anointing saying, hey, I've got your back, and I'm here to support you in doing what God has called you to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... Why? So let's move on up to the book of Acts. Jesus has already been on the earth. He said that in the passage we just read that he's the Messiah. He went and did his many works, raised the dead, healed the sick. He was tried. He was crucified. He died. He, buried, he was buried in a tomb. He rose on the third day, and he ascended back to heaven. So now we're in the book of Acts. And what fueled the disciples' hunger at that time was the weight of the responsibility of establishing and representing Jesus Christ to their generation. You see, that weight and that responsibility is what makes men and women shut up in a room for 10 days and not leave and not get bored. We have a little trouble with that, don't we? 
You know, used to, we used to have two, three, and four-week revivals. Anyone remember those? Now, I know you're older than that, people. Three, four-week revivals, and then, then we cut it down to a week. And then we had to cut it down to three days because we couldn't get people to come out for a week. And now even when you have a three-day conference, people pick which day they're going to come, and yet we wonder why as a church we don't have any power in our lives. We don't have any power in our life because we're like the car that's ran out of gas and we're running on empty. And so what do we do? Today, most churches, we need gimmicks, we need bells, we need whistles to try to keep people interested. Because if we don't appeal to their senses, they're going to get bored and they're going to go out the door. It really is. But it's the truth. I mean, I can remember... I am old enough, and I can remember when there was only an accordion and a tambourine, but yet people would stay for hours because they were fascinated with the glory of God. Now, I know I can hear you. I can hear you. I can hear you. Well, yeah, but that was because the glory fell. The glory doesn't fall anymore. (laughs) Why do you think the glory fell back then? Hello? Hello? Yes, the glory fell, but the people in attendance were seeking the glory. The people in, a, in, a, in, the, in attendance brought the glory with them. But the problem today is we have gotten too important. We are too busy. We become too full of ourselves. We're too impressed with ourselves of who we are. And whenever you get impressed with who you are, there is no room left in your life for God. Oh, my goodness, I'm preaching good today. I don't know if you're enjoying it or not. See, I can, I can do this. I can preach like this because I've already been on my face crying, asking God to forgive me for all my shortcomings. That's why I can preach like this. Because, hey, I'm no different. I'm no different than you. My halo's not any bigger than yours. But we have got so full of us. You have to humble yourself in order for God to be something in your life. When the prophets came into a strong anointing of a God, they fell on their face because God was so awesome. But friend, you cannot see your God as awesome when you are the one who's awesome. There is no room for him when it's all about me. And the truth is that we have become a narcissistic society where everything is about me. I'm not happy. I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. I just don't want to. I just don't want to. And friend, listen to me. Whenever I gets on the throne like that, All service goes out the window. You think I'm kidding? Watch how people come and eat dinner and never even think about washing a dish. They get up and walk away like you have a maid. I was was telling that point to Starla, and she said, yeah. 
Preach on, buddy. Rock on. We don't want to serve. We're out of service. Nowadays, the only way you can get people to serve is to write a check. If you want someone to serve in church, at home, at anywhere, it's all about show me the money. Everybody wants to know what's in it for me. You know, when my kids were at home, well, they got money for making good grades. You know what I got for making good grades? Keep breathing. Am I lying? No. I got my next meal. I got to sleep in a bed that night. And so we grow up with what's in it for me. We get married with what's in it for me. I take this woman for better or for for worse. Better for me, worse for her. We go to a job interview and we don't ask about the job description. The first thing we ask is, uh, what are the benefits? How How long can I collect on the benefits? You know, it used to be, in, if you lived in a neighborhood and someone in the neighborhood had a problem, the neighbors would rally around. Now we don't even know the name of our neighbors. All service is gone. Anyone else notice that, or am I just that old? But the sad point is, we've even become preoccupied with what's in it for me in the church. And so now all the messages and all the songs must scratch the itch of the narcissistic epidemic that has broken out in the body of Christ. We are so consumed, we get so excited with the benefit of being a Christian. We love the benefits, but nobody is showing up for the job. How can you be eligible for the benefits when you're not coming to work? If we just stand idly by staring at what Jesus did, you know, in all actuality, it can distract us from what we need to do. You say, well, Mike, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you. You see, the plan was that the body of Christ would never leave the earth. Did you hear me? The body of Christ would never leave the earth. Now, the physical body of Christ was crucified. It was buried in a tomb and rose on the third day so that he could empower the mystical body of Christ, which is the church. That is you and me. The plan was for the Holy Spirit that moved through Christ to now move through us. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, if the princes of this world would have known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord. I mean, when Jesus was on the earth, you had one son of God. You could track Jesus to one city. But now, because of 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what ye shall be. Now, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Jesus Christ can be in every city all the time right now. Listen, friend, if we weren't running on empty, 
If we hadn't reduced the Christian walk just to whether we come to church once a month or not, demons would tremble. If faith ever gets outside the walls of this church and preaching ever leaves the pulpit, hell will deteriorate. If laying on of hands ever gets away from the altar area and starts breaking out in Walmart, in Dillard's, in Olive Garden, if saints ever start praying with people outside the walls of the church, you talk about revival hitting a city. If we started doing what the early church did and had prayer meetings in our living room instead of Sunday night football meetings, Game of Thrones meetings, Yahtzee meetings, can you imagine how much more peace we'd have in our house? Now I'm just going to throw this out here. Perhaps, I can't say this for sure, But perhaps if you would let God use your house, perhaps maybe he would let you pay it off. Man, you're going to start throwing something at me here pretty soon. But when it's all just about me, Why should God invest where there's no return? I believe one of the things that God cares most about on this earth is his purpose on this earth. And the reason that you're here today, the reason I am here today, is because we have been assigned a heavenly purpose. Romans 8, 28, most of you are familiar with this, all things work together for the good of those who love God. But the problem is we stop there and we don't go on. All things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Friend, at the end of the day, it does not matter what's in your wallet. At the end of the day, what matters is, what is your godly purpose? It doesn't say all things work together for the good of them who are running on empty, or who are out of service, or all things work together for the good of them who are self-consumed. So if you're not accomplishing his purpose, well, I'm sorry. But that's why all things are not working together for your good. Someone will say, well, but I don't know what my purpose is. Well, that'll work until you stumble across Ecclesiastes verse 10 in chapter 9, which says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it as unto the Lord. In other words, while you're trying to figure out what your purpose is, you, if you see something that needs to be done, you need to get busy doing it. Something as simple as someone leaves a cup of coffee with this much in it on the pew, and you're leaving. Pick it up and carry it out. Save someone else, a little kid from running by and knocking it over and staying in the seat. 
That's not a big deal, is it? It might be as simple as, men, put the toilet seat lid down. Don't let laziness dress up in confusion and give you an excuse to be sitting on the bench. But you see, friend, this fulfilling God's purpose, it's not a one-way street. It's not all for his benefit. Because when you walk in God's purpose, he will give you favor. And favor are those things that we don't even deserve. And because you are doing what he called you to do, he will make the pathway straight before you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. God will destroy your enemies and make them your footstool. Not because you're so good, not because you're so holy, not because you're so cute, but because you are moving in the direction of doing what he called you to do. And God will even overlook some of your faults when you're doing his will. But friend, you've got to understand God does not anoint laziness. God doesn't anoint tiredness. God doesn't anoint selfishness. God anoints people that do what he's called them to do. The Holy Spirit in you is his power for his purpose for you to carry out. Friend, it's not about you. It's about you being in his purpose. And when you're in his purpose, God will provide favor for you when you do what he's called you to do. Now, I understand this message may seem strange because the way the gospel is being taught today is that we're not told how we should serve the Lord. What we're taught today is that how the Lord should serve us. Five steps to a blessing, ten ways to overcome. And as long as the preacher is talking about God serving them, people will shout him down. The preacher says, God will bring you through. The crowd will shout, yes, we're coming out of it. We're going to make it through. But just suppose it was God that sent you into it. How are you going to be a soldier in the Lord's army when you're running from the fight? How are you going to find out he's the fourth one in the fiery furnace when you're scared of matches? Friend, don't forget the Lord is a present help in the time of trouble. And when you're in trouble, he will reveal himself in that trouble. We need to pray, God, wake us up out of our sleep. Shake us until we come alive. Shake us until we are hungry again for you. Shake us until we study your word. Shake us until we fall at these altars and pray. Shake us until our gauge gets off empty and we get full of the Holy Ghost. Friend, the world, your world is waiting on you. And so for your own good, show up for the fight. You see, because Satan has brainwashed the church. He's taught us how God is supposed to serve us, but we need to switch the flip and get back on track because we're supposed to serve the Lord in season and out of season. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter what your emotions are doing. It doesn't matter whether your bills are paid. Whenever you get up in the morning, hell should get nervous. Demons should tremble and say, oh no, she's up again. 
We need to get busy doing what God has called us to do. The fact that you're up here playing, does this mean that service is about over? <laughs> service is about over. Man, that guy's long-winded. Man, I, that was just my introduction. I've got my whole message left. Okay, anyway, where, where, where I was going, where I was going. Over in Numbers, man, in Numbers chapter 11, you probably know the story where God has delivered the people, his people out of Egypt, and they're on their way, and, and he's providing manna for them. I mean, they're sleeping and being fed. How many would like to have food appear on your table while you're sleeping? That'd be pretty good. That happens at my house, that's because Starla's a good wife. But anyway, I'm talking about they were being provided for, but yet they get cranky. They start whining. They start bellyaching. We don't like the taste of bread. We want meat. Show us the beef. That shoe ever fit? Do we ever get unthankful and feel like that we're entitled to what others had to work and scrape and barely get by for? I don't know about you, but I can certainly be a big selfish kid sometimes and be so selfish. So Moses was displeased. God was displeased. Moses says, why did you give me this job? Moses said, I don't want this job. He said, did I give birth to these yahoos that, that I should carry them and you tell me to carry them in my bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land, which by the way, God, you swore to them. I didn't swear to them. Moses says, where am I going to get ribeyes to feed these people? And so, let me fast forward. So God says, gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel to whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. This is verse 16. And bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. Now get this. God says, I will take of the spirit which is upon you and will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Okay, this is exactly what, the, what Pentecost illustrates in the book of Acts. The same spirit that God put on Moses, then that God put on the 70 elders of Israel, the same Holy Spirit that was on Jesus Christ when he walked on the earth, is the same Holy Spirit that Jesus used to overcome this world, and it is the same Holy Spirit that came upon the 120 people in the upper room. And God wants to take that same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that Jesus used to overcome this world that was in the upper room, and God wants to place it on you. We need so much of the Spirit that as we live our daily lives at home, at work, on the golf course, at the grocery store, we won't use our name, but whatever you do in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord. Jesus, I live by my day by your name. Lord, I declare everything I do will be blessed through your name. Because listen, friend, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, people may see you, but the demons are going to see Jesus. 
And when you say in the name of Jesus, you are moving in the spirit of Jesus. And when you move in the spirit of Jesus and use his name, the devil has to back up. He has to back up. He has to back up. Jesus said, you will be endued with power from on high and you will be witnesses to me. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because, because. And so why, why should God anoint your level of service and my level of service? I'm just asking a question. I'm not accusing you. Like I said, I've had to pray through this myself. I mean, what is God getting out of my life? Out of my week? How much time does God get? Out of your phone conversations, out of your Facebook time, out of your TV time, out of your YouTube time, how much of it is centered around the good news of the gospel? And the good news of hope and joy in life. I know this sermon's been a little tough, and I know it's not popular to say anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. Because again, we all want to come to church and feel good. But if you don't hear from the pulpit, where are you going to hear it? You see, the truth is, because preachers have lost their courage, the church has lost its power. And if there was ever a time that the world needed to see the demonstration of the power of God by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it is right now. Teenagers are carrying pistols. Babies are having babies. If there, were ever, if there was ever a time for the church to stop whining about our circumstances and start working with people and praying with people and touching people, it is right now. God, stop. Bow your head with me. Sorry, I've gone long. Sorry, sorry. Um, I'll wrap it up. A few days ago, Starla and I got back from Africa. We got back. I was tired, worn out. I was, I was running on empty. And I, as I thought about that, you know, I thought of it in, in the spiritual connotation. I mean, this world is in a crisis. This world is in a crisis. It is running, searching for the answer, a answer, any answer. And, and I realize that, that many people who are supposed to have the answer are spiritually running on empty. And so today is Pentecost Sunday. It's a time that we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus Christ. But then... What good is it to celebrate something you don't have? What good is it to have something that we don't use? So spiritually speaking, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, are you running on empty today? 
Now, empty for you may be that you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe this world is bearing down on you. It's beating you black and blue, and, and you just know that there, there has to be more, but, but you just don't know where to turn. I mean, you may be here today, and you're actually at the end of your rope. Well, friend, I want you to know, Jesus wants to lift your burden and carry it for you. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived. He died. He rose again simply, simply for the fact that you could have a more abundant life. What an incredible God he is. But you have to be born again. You have to have your sins forgiven. So if you're here today, and you have sin in your life, and you need to be forgiven, and you want to find this relationship with Jesus that is unmatched by anything this world has to offer, I'd ask you to raise your hand right now. Mike, I have sin. I need to be forgiven. I need Jesus to come into my heart. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stand with me, if you would all over this room. Altar workers, elders, if you would, please come take your place around the front. Now, probably most of you here today are followers of Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you a question. A lot of this you already know and you've heard it maybe many, many times. But let me ask you this one question. In your walk with Jesus, are you riding a spiritual high today or have the trials and tribulations of this life led you down into a valley? Are you running on empty today in your Christian walk? I want you to know right here and right now you can refill your spiritual tank. The singers are going to create an atmosphere of worship. I know I've gone long. I apologize. I apologize. But there is nothing more important than you receiving what God has for you to receive today. So if you raise your hand for salvation, you need to be forgiven of sin. If you didn't raise your hand, but you know you have sin in your life and you need to be born again, I ask you, come on, come out as the singers sing. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you're a Christian.